Section 8 of National Geographic Magazine, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. An Expedition to Mount St. Elias, Alaska, by Israel C. Russell, Part 2. Narrative of the St. Elias Expedition of 1890, Part 2. First Day's Tramp. The impressions received during the first day spent on shore in a new country are always long remembered. Of several first days in my own calendar, there are none that exceed in interest my first excursions through the forest and over the hills west of Yakutat Bay. Everyone about camp having plenty of work to occupy him through the day, I started out early on the morning of July 2nd with only Bud and Tweed for companions. My objects were to reconnoiter the country to the westward to learn what i could concerning its geology and glaciers and to choose a line of march towards mount st elias to the north of our camp and about a mile distant arose a densely wooded hill about three hundred feet high with a curving outline convex southward this hill had excited my curiosity on first catching sight of the shore and i decided to make it my first study its position at the mouth of a steep gorge in the hills beyond down which a small glacier flowed suggested that it might be an ancient moraine deposited at a time when the ice stream advanced farther than at present my surprise therefore was great when after forcing my way through the dense thickets i reached the top of the hill and found a large kettle-shaped depression the sides of which were solid walls of ice fifty feet high this showed at once that the supposed hill was really the extremity of a glacier long dead and deeply buried beneath the forest-covered debris in the bottom of the kettle-like depression lay a pond of muddy water, and, as the ice cliffs about the lakelet melted in the warm sunlight, miniature avalanches of ice and stones, mingled with sticks and bushes that had been undermined, frequently rattled down its sides and splashed into the waters below. Further examination revealed the fact that scores of such kettles are scattered over the surface of the buried glacier. This ice stream is that designated as the Galliano Glacier on the accompanying map. Continuing on my way toward the mouth of the gorge, in the mountains above, I forced my way for nearly a mile through dense thickets, frequently making wide detours to avoid the kettle holes. At length the vegetation became less dense and gave place to broad open fields of rocks and dirt, covering the glacier from side to side. This debris was clearly of the nature of a moraine, as the ice could be seen beneath it in numerous crevasses but no division into marginal or medial moraines could be distinguished it is really a thin irregular sheet of comminuted rock together with angular masses of sandstone and shale the largest of which are ten or fifteen feet in diameter when seen from a little distance the debris completely conceals the ice and forms a barren rugged surface the picture of desolation after traversing this naked area, the clear ice in the center of the gorge was reached. All about were wild cliffs, stretching up toward the snow-covered peaks above. Several cataracts of ice formed by tributary glaciers descending through rugged, highly inclined channels were in sight, while the snow fields far above gleamed brilliantly in the sunlight, and now and then sent down small avalanches to awaken the echoes of the cliffs and fill the still air with the babble of tongues. Pushing on towards the western border of the glacier, across the barren field of stones, 
i came at length to the brink of a precipice of dirty ice more than a hundred feet high at the foot of which flowed a swift stream of turbid water a few hundred yards below this stream suddenly disappeared beneath an archway formed by the end of a glacial tunnel and its further course was lost to view it was a strange sight to see a swift foaming river burst from beneath overhanging ice cliffs roar along over a boulder-covered bed and then plunge into the mouth of a cavern leaving no trace of its lower course except a dull heavy rumbling far down below the icy surface a still grander example of these glacial streams observed a few days later is described on another page the bank of the gulf opposite the point at which i first reached it is formed by a steep mountainside supporting a dense growth of vegetation here and there however streams of water plunge down the slope making a chain of foaming cascades and opening the way through the vegetation it seemed practicable to traverse one of these stream beds without great difficulty and thus to reach the plateau which i knew from a more distant view to exist above crossing the glacial river above the upper archway i reached the mountain side and began to ascend the task was far more difficult than anticipated the bushes particularly of alder and currant grew dense and extended their branches down the steep slope in such a manner that at all times it was utterly impossible to force a way through them much of the way i crawled on hands and knees up the steep watercourse beneath the dense tangle of vegetation overhanging from either bank and interlacing in the centre on nearing the top i was so fortunate as to strike a bear trail along which the animal had forced its way through the bushes making an opening like a tunnel through this i ascended to the top of the slope coming out in a wild amphitheatre in the side of the mountain the bottom of the amphitheatre was exceedingly rough owing to confused moraine heaps and held a number of small lakes on account of its elevation it was not densely covered with bushes and no trees were in sight except along its southern margin about its northern border ran a broad terrace marking the height of the great glacier which formerly occupied the site of yakutat bay the terrace formed a convenient pathway leading westward to a sharp ridge running out from the mountains and connecting with an outstanding butte which promised to afford an unobstructed view to the westward pressing on i found that the terrace on which i was traveling at length became a free ridge some three hundred feet high with steep slopes on either side like a huge railroad embankment this ridge swept across the valley in a graceful curve and shut off a portion of the western part of the amphitheater from the general drainage in the portion thus isolated there was a lake without an outlet still frozen the snowbanks bordering the frozen lake were traced in every direction by the trails of bears continuing my tramp i crossed broad snowfields climbed the ridge to the westward and obtained a far-reaching unobstructed view of the surrounding country the elevation reached was only about one thousand five hundred feet above sea level but was above the timber line the mountain slopes toward the north were bare of vegetation and generally covered with snow the first object to claim attention was the huge pyramid forming the summit of mount st elias which stood out clear and sharp against the northwestern sky although thirty-six miles distant it dominated all other peaks in view and rose far above the rugged crests of nearer ranges many of which would have been counted magnificent mountains in a less rugged land this was the first view of the great peak obtained by any of our party 
not a cloud obscured the definition of the mountain and the wonderful transparency of the atmosphere after so many days of mist and rain was something seldom if ever equalled in less humid lands much nearer than st elias and a little west of north of my station rose mount cook one of the most beautiful peaks in the region its summit unlike the isolated pyramid in which st elias terminates is formed of three white domes with here and there subordinate pinnacles of pure white shooting up from the snow-fields like great crystals on the southern side of mount cook there are several rugged and angular ridges which sweep away for many miles and project like headlands into the sea of ice known as the malaspina glacier bordering the ocean toward the southwest between the main ridges there are huge trunk glaciers each contributing its flood of ice to the great glacier below and each secondary valley and each amphitheater among the peaks no matter how small has its individual glacier and the majority of these are tributary to the larger ice streams all the mountains in sight exceeding two thousand feet in elevation were white with snow except the sharpest ridges and boldest precipices the attention of the geologist is attracted by the fact that all the foothills of mount cook are composed of gray sandstone and black shale and he also observes that the angular mountain crest so sharply drawn against the sky furnishes abundant evidence that the mountains were never subjected to the abrasion of a continuous ice sheet as i stood on the steep slope ridge the atrevida and lucia glaciers their surfaces covered from side to side with angular masses of sandstone and shale lay at my feet while further up the valley the debris on the surface of the ice disappeared and all above was a winter landscape the brown desolate debris fields on the glacier at my feet extended far southward and covered the expanded ice foot in which the glacier terminates most curious of all was the fact that the moraines on the lower border of the glacier were concealed from view by a dense covering of vegetation and in places were clothed with forests of spruce trees to the southward, beyond the end of the Lucia Glacier, and separated from it by a torrent-swept boulder bed, lay a vast plateau of ice, which stretched toward the south and west farther than the eye could reach. This is the Malaspina Glacier, shown on Plate 8. Its borders, like the expanded extremity of the Lucia Glacier, are covered with debris, on the outer margins of which the dense vegetation has taken root all the central portion of the ice sheet is clear of moraines and shone in the sunlight like a vast snowfield the heights formerly reached by the nearer glaciers are plainly marked along the mountain sides by well-defined terraces sloping with the present drainage when the lucia glacier was at its flood the ridge on which i stood was only two or three hundred feet above its surface now it approaches one thousand feet Turning toward the southeast, I could look down upon the waters of Yakutat Bay, with its thousands of floating icebergs, and could distinguish the white breakers as they rolled in on Ocean Cape. Beyond Yakutat stretches a forest-covered plateau between the mountains and the sea, and the eye could range far over the mountains bordering the plateau on the northeast. In the distance, fully a hundred miles away, stood Mount Fairweather its position rendered conspicuous by a bank of shining clouds floating serenely above its cold summit the mountains directly east of yakutat bay rise to a general height of about eight thousand feet but are without especially prominent peaks in a general way they form a rugged plateau which has been dissected in various channels to a depth of two thousand or three thousand feet nearly all of the plateau including mountains and valleys is covered with snowfields and glaciers 
but none of the ice streams so far as can be seen from a distance descend below an elevation of about four thousand or five thousand feet this region is as yet untraversed and when the explorer enters it it is quite possible that deep drainage lines will be found through which glaciers may descend nearly or quite to sea level after drinking in the effect of the magnificent landscape and endeavoring to impress every detail in the rugged topography upon my memory and having finished writing my notes it was time to return for the sun was already declining toward the west wishing to see more of the wonderful land about me i concluded to descend the western slope of the ridge upon which i stood and to return to camp by following a stream which issues from the atrevida glacier directly below my station and empties into yakutat bay a mile or two south of our third camp the quickest and easiest way down was to slide on the snow using my alpenstock as a brake i descended swiftly several hundred feet without difficulty the dogs bounding along beside me when on looking up i was startled to see two huge brown bears on the same snow surface a little to the left and not more than a hundred and fifty yards away had my slide been continued a few seconds more i should have been in exceedingly unwelcome company i was unarmed and entirely unprepared for a fight with two of the most savage animals found in this country the bears had long yellowish-brown hair and were the size and character of the grizzly with which they are thought by hunters if not by naturalists to be specifically identical they were not at all disturbed by my presence and in spite of my shouts which i thought would make them travel off one of them came leisurely toward me his strides over the snow revealed a strength and activity commanding admiration despite the decidedly uncomfortable feeling awakened by his proximity and evident curiosity later in the season i measured the tracks of an animal of the same species made while walking over a soft level surface and found each impression to measure nine by seventeen inches and the stride to reach sixty-four inches so far as i have been able to learn this is the largest bear track that has been reported realizing my danger i continued my snow slide but in a different direction and with accelerated speed the upper limit of the dense thicket clothing the slope of the mountain was soon reached and my unwelcome companions were lost to sight following the bed of a torrent fed by the snowfields above i soon came to the creek chosen for my route back to camp the waters brown and turbid with sediment welled out of a cavern at the foot of an ice precipice two hundred feet high and formed a roaring stream too deep and too swift for fording the roaring of the brown waters and the startling noises made by stones rattling down the ice cliff together with the dark shadows of the deep gorge walled in by steep mountain slope on one side and a glacier on the other made the route seem uncanny on the sands filling the spaces between the boulders there were many fresh bear tracks which at least suggested that the belated traveller should be careful in his movements the locality was afterward occupied as a camping place and is shown in the picture forming plate ten the dark-coloured ice mixed with stones and earth might easily be mistaken for stratified rock but the dirt discolouring the ice is almost entirely superficial the crest of the cliff is formed of debris and is the edge of the sheet of stones and earth covering the general surface of the glacier owing to the constant melting stones and boulders are continually loosened to rattle down the steep slope and plunge into the water beneath i followed down the bank of the stream by springing from boulder to boulder for about a mile and then came to a steep bluff the western side of which was swept by the roaring flood 
the banks above were clothed with spruce trees and dense underbrush but there being no alternative i entered the forest and slowly worked my way in the direction of camp to traverse the unbroken forests of southern alaska is always difficult even when one is fresh and weary as i was with many hours of laborious climbing my progress was slow indeed one of the principal obstacles encountered in threading these arctic jungles is the plant known as the devil's club panax horridum which grows to a height of ten or fifteen feet and has broad palmate leaves that are especially conspicuous in autumn owing to their bright yellow color the stems of this plant run on the earth for several feet and then curve upward every portion of its surface even to the ribs of the leaves is thickly set with spines which inflict painful wounds and breaking off in the flesh cause festering sores in forcing a way through the brush one frequently treads on the prostrate portion of these thorny plants and not infrequently is made aware of the fact by a blow on the head or in the face from the overarching stems i struggled on through the tangled vegetation until the sun went down and the woods became dark and sombre thick moss into which the foot sank as in a bed of sponge covered the ground everywhere to the depth of two or three feet each fallen trunk was a rounded mound of green and brown decked with graceful equisita and ferns or brilliant with flowers but most treacherous and annoying to the belated traveller in the gloom of the dim-lit woods the trees bearded with moss assumed strange fantastic shapes which every unfamiliar sound seemed to start into life while the numerous trails made by the bears in forcing their way through the thick tangle were positive evidence that not all the inhabitants of the forest were creatures of the imagination my faithful companions bud and tweed showed signs of weariness and offered no objection when i started a fire and expressed my intention of spending the night beneath the wide-spreading branches of a moss-covered evergreen having a few pieces of bread in my pocket i shared them with the dogs and stretching myself on a luxuriant bank of lichens tried to sleep only to find the mosquitoes so energetic that there was no hope of passing the night in comfort after resting i felt refreshed and concluded to press on through the gathering darkness and after another hour of hard work i came out of the forest and upon a field of torrent-swept boulders deposited by the stream which i had left farther up i was surprised to find that the twilight was not so far spent as i had fancied the way ahead being free of vegetation i hastened on and after travelling about two miles was rejoiced by the sight of a campfire blazing in the distance the warm fire and a hearty supper soon made me forget the fatigues of the day this my first day's exploration must stand as an example of many similar days spent on the hills and in the forests northwest of yakutat bay of which it is not necessary to give detailed descriptions canoe trip in disenchantment bay on july third i continued my examination of the region about the head of yakutat bay by making a canoe trip up disenchantment bay to hankey island with the assistance of Christie and Crumback, our canoe was launched through the surf without difficulty, and we slowly worked our way through the fields of floating ice which covered all the upper portion of the inlet. The men plied the oars with which the canoe was fortunately provided, and I directed its course with a paddle. A heavy swell rolling in from the ocean rendered the task of choosing a route through the grinding ice pack somewhat difficult. After four or five hours of hard work, during which time several vain attempts were made to traverse leads in the ice, which had only one opening, we succeeded in reaching the southern end of the island. 
the shores of hanky island are steep and rocky and so far as i am aware afford only one cove in which a boat can take refuge this is at the extreme southern point and is not visible until its entrance is reached a break or fissure in the rocks there admits of the accumulation of stone and sand and this has been extended by the action of the waves and tides until a beach a hundred feet in length has been deposited the dashing of the boulders and sand against the cliffs at the head of the cove by the incoming waves has increased its extension in that direction so as to form a well-sheltered refuge the absence of beaches on other portions of the island is due to the fact that its bordering precipices descend abruptly into deep water and do not admit of the accumulation of debris about their bases without stones and sand with which the waves can work the excavation of terraces is an exceedingly slow operation the precipitous nature of the borders of the island is due to some extent at least to the abrasion of the rocks by the glacial ice which once encircled it pulling our canoe far up on the beach we began the ascent of the cliffs hundreds of seabirds startled from their nests by our intrusion circled fearlessly about our heads and filled the air with their wild cries the more exposed portions of the slopes were bare of vegetation but in the shelter of every depression dense thickets obstructed the way many of the little basins between the rounded knolls hold tarns of fresh water and were occupied at the time of our visit by flocks of gray geese it is evident that the island was intensely glaciated at no distant day the surfaces of its rounded domes are so smoothly polished that they glitter like mirrors in the sunlight on the polished surfaces there are deep grooves and fine hair-like lines made by the stones set in the bottom of the glacier which once flowed over the island and removed all of the rocks that were not firm and hard on many of the domes of sandstone there rest boulders of a different character which have evidently been brought from the mountains toward the northeast the summit of the island is about eight hundred feet above the level of the sea and like its sides is polished and striated the terraces on the mountains of the mainland show that the glacier which formerly flowed from disenchantment bay must have been fully two thousand feet deep the bed it occupied toward the south is now flooded by the waters of yakutat bay at the time of malaspina's visit one hundred years ago the glaciers from the north reached hanky island and surrounded it on three sides at the rate of retreat indicated by comparing malaspina's records with the present condition the glaciers must have reached point esperanza at the mouth of disenchantment bay about two hundred years ago and an allowance of between five hundred and one thousand years would seem ample for the retreat of the glaciers since they were at their flood reaching the topmost dome of hanky island a wonderful panorama of snow-covered mountains glaciers and icebergs lay before us the island occupies the position of a stage in a vast amphitheatre the spectators are hoary mountain peaks each a monarch robed in ermine and bidding defiance to the ceaseless war of the elements how insignificant the wanderer who confronts such an audience and how weak his efforts to describe such a scene from a wild cliff-enclosed valley toward the north guarded by towering pinnacles and massive cliffs flows a great glacier the fountains of which are far back in the heart of the mountains beyond the reach of vision having vainly sought an indian name for this ice stream i concluded to christen it the dalton glacier in honor of john dalton a miner and frontiersman now living at yakutat who is justly considered the pioneer explorer of the region the glacier is greatly shattered and pinnacled in descending its steep channel 
and on reaching the sea it extends into a broad ice foot the last steep descent is made just before gaining the water and is marked by crevasses and pinnacles of magnificent proportion and beautiful color this is one of the few glaciers in the st elias region that has well-defined medial and lateral moraines at the bases of the cliffs on the western side there is a broad lateral moraine and in the center looking like a winding road leading up the glacier runs a triple banded ribbon of debris forming a typical medial moraine the moranal material carried by the glacier is at last deposited at its foot or floated away by icebergs and scattered far and wide over the bottom of yakutat bay the glacier expands on entering the water as is the habit of all glaciers when unconfined and ends in magnificent ice cliffs some two miles in length the water dashing against the bases of the cliffs dissolves them away and the tides tend to raise and lower the expanded ice foot the result is that huge masses sometimes reaching from summit to base of the cliffs are undermined and toppled over into the sea with a tremendous crash owing to the distance of the glacier from hankey island we could see the fall long before the roar reached our ears the cliffs separated and huge masses seemed to sink without a sound the spray thrown up as the blue pinnacles disappeared ascended like gleaming rockets sometimes as high as the tops of the cliffs and then fell back in silent cataracts of foam then a noise as of a cannonade came rolling across the waters and echoing from cliff to cliff the roar of the glacier continues all day when the air is warm and the sun bright and is most active when the summer days are finest sometimes roar succeeded roar like artillery fire and the salutes were answered gun for gun by the great hubbard glacier which pours its flood of ice into the fjord a few miles further northeastward this ice stream most magnificent of the tidewater glaciers of alaska yet discovered and a towering mountain peak from which the glacier receives a large part of its drainage were named in honor of gardner g hubbard president of the national geographic society looking across the waters of the bay whitened by thousands of floating bergs we could see three miles of the ice cliffs formed where the hubbard glacier enters the sea the dark headland on the shore of the mainland to the right shut off the full view of the glacier but formed a strongly drawn foreground which enhanced the picturesque effect of the scenery the hubbard glacier flows majestically through a deep valley leading back into the mountains and has two main branches with a smaller and steeper tributary between these branches unite to form a single ice foot extending into the bay the western branch has a dark medial moraine down its center which makes a bold sweeping curve before joining the main stream there is also a broad lateral debris belt along the bases of the cliffs forming its right bank the whole surface of the united glacier and all of the white tongues running back into the mountains beyond the reach of vision are broken and shattered owing to the steepness and roughness of the bed over which they flow the surface where not concealed by moranal material is snow white but in the multitude of crevasses the blue ice is exposed and gives a greenish blue tint to the entire stream where the subglacial slopes are steep the ice is broken into pinnacles and towers of the grandest description on the steep mountainside sloping toward the hubbard glacier there are more than a dozen secondary ice streams which are tributary to it the amphitheaters in which the glacier has its beginnings have never been seen but our general knowledge of the fountains from which glaciers flow 
assures us that not only scores but hundreds of other secondary and tertiary glaciers far back into the mountains contribute their floods to the same great stream after being received on board the corwin late in september we had an opportunity to view the great sea cliffs of the hubbard glacier near at hand captain hooper attracted by the magnificent scenery took his vessel up disenchantment bay to a point beyond hankey island whence a view could be had of the eastern extension of the inlet so far as is known the corwin was the first vessel to navigate those waters soundings made between the island and the ice foot gave forty to sixty fathoms at the elbow where the southeastern shore of the bay turns abruptly eastward there is a low islet not represented on any map previous to the one made by the recent expedition which commands even a wider prospect than can be obtained from hankey island future visitors to this remote coast should endeavor to reach this islet after having beheld the grand panorama obtainable from the summit of hankey island the portion of disenchantment bay stretching eastward from the foot of hubbard glacier is enclosed on all sides by bold mountains the lower slopes of which have the subdued and flowing outlines characteristic of glaciated regions several glaciers occur in the high-grade lateral valleys opening from the bay but these have recently retreated and none of them have sufficient volume at present to reach the water the general recession in which all the glaciers of alaska are participating is manifested here by the broad debris fields which cover all the lower ice streams not ending in the sea the absence of vegetation on the smooth rocks recently abandoned by the ice also tells of recent climatic changes a debris-covered glacier so completely concealed by continuous sheets of stones and earth that its true character can scarcely be recognized descends from the mountains just east of hubbard glacier it is formed by the union of two principal tributaries and on reaching comparatively level ground expands into a broad ice foot but does not have sufficient volume to reach the sea another glacier of smaller size but of the same general character lies between the hubbard and dalton glaciers in a rugged defile in the mountains just west of hankey island there is another small dirt-covered glacier which creeps down from the precipices above and reaches within a mile of the water at its end there is a cliff of black dirty ice scarcely to be distinguished from rock at a little distance from the base of which flows a turbid stream this glacier is covered so completely with earth and stones that not a vestige of ice can be seen unless we actually traverse its surface its appearance suggests the name of black glacier by which it is designated on the accompanying map the visitor to hankey island has examples of at least two well-marked types of glaciers in view the small debris-covered ice streams too small to reach the water are typical of a large class of glaciers in southern alaska which are slowly wasting away and have become buried beneath debris concentrated at the surface by reason of their own melting the galliano glacier is a good example of this class the hubbard and dalton glaciers are fine examples of another class of ice streams which flow into the sea and end in ice cliffs and which for convenience we call tidewater glaciers nowhere can finer or more beautiful examples of this type be found than those in view from hankey island the formation of icebergs from the undermining and breaking down of the ice cliffs of the tidewater glaciers has already been mentioned but there is another method by which bergs are formed a process even more remarkable than the avalanches that occur when portions of the ice cliffs topple over into the sea 
the ice cliffs at the foot of the tidewater glaciers are really sea cliffs formed by the waves cutting back a terrace in the ice the submerged terrace is composed of ice and may extend out a thousand feet or more in front of the visible part of the ice cliffs these conditions are represented in the accompanying diagram figure one and exhibits a longitudinal section of the lower end of a tidewater glacier where it pushes out into the sea as the sea cliff of ice recedes and the submerged terrace increases in breadth there comes a time when the buoyancy of ice at the bottom exceeds its strength and the piece breaks off and rises to the surface the water about the ends of the glaciers is so intensely muddy that the submerged ice foot is hidden from view and its presence would not be suspected were it not for the fragments occasionally rising from it the sudden appearance of these masses of bottom ice at the surface is always startling while watching the ice cliffs and admiring the play of colors in the deep crevasses which penetrate them in every direction or tracing in fancy the strange history of the silent rivers and wondering at what age the snows fell on the mountains which are now returning to their parent the sea one is frequently awakened by a commotion in the waters below perhaps several hundred feet in front of the ice cliffs at first it seems as if some huge sea monster had risen from the deep and was lashing the waters into foam but soon the waters part and a blue island rises to the surface carrying hundreds of tons of water which flows down its sides in cataracts of foam some of the bergs turn completely over on emerging and thus add to the tumult and confusion which attends their birth the waves roll away in widening circles to break in surf on the adjacent shores and an island of ice of the most lovely blue floats serenely away to join the thousands of similar islands that have preceded it the fragments of glacier rising from the bottom in this manner are usually larger than those broken from the faces of the ice cliffs sometimes measuring two hundred or three hundred feet in diameter their size and the suddenness with which they rise would ensure certain destruction of a vessel venturing too near the treacherous ice walls at the time of our visit to hankey island the entire surface of disenchantment bay and all of yakutat bay as far southward as we could see formed one vast field of floating ice most of the bergs were small but here and there rose masses which measured one hundred fifty by two hundred feet on their sides and stood forty or fifty feet out of the water these bergs are divided in reference to color into three classes the white the blue and the black the white ones are those that have fallen from the face of ice walls or those that have been sufficiently exposed to the atmosphere to become melted at the surface and filled with air cavities the blue bergs are of many shades and tints finding their nearest match in the color of antwerp blue these are the ones that have recently risen from the submerged ice foot or have turned over owing to a change of position in the center of gravity rapid as is the melting of the ice when exposed to the air it seems to liquefy even more quickly when submerged the changes thus produced finally cause the bergs to reverse their positions in the water this is done without the slightest warning and is one of the greatest dangers to be guarded against while canoeing among them the white color presented by the majority of bergs is changed to blue when they become stranded and the surf breaks over them and dissolves away their porous surfaces a few of the bergs are black in color owing to the dirt and stones that they carry on their surfaces or frozen in their mass quantities of debris are thus floated away from the tidewater glaciers and strewn over the bottoms of the adjacent inlets 
this digression may be wearisome but one cannot stand on hanky island without wishing to know all the secrets of the great ice streams that flow silently before him returning from our commanding station at the summit of the island to where we left our canoe we were surprised and not a little startled to find that the tide had run out and left the strand between our canoe and the water completely blocked with huge fragments of ice there was no way left for us to launch our canoe except by cutting away and leveling off the ice with our axe so as to form a trail over which we could drag it to the water this we did and then poising the canoe on a flat low berg half of which extended beneath the water i took my place in it with the paddle in hand while christie and crumback waiting for a moment when a large wave rolled in launched the canoe far out in the surf by the vigorous use of my paddle i succeeded in reaching smooth water and brought the canoe close under the cliff forming the south side of the cove where the men were able to drop in as a wave rolled under us we slowly worked our way down the bay through blue lanes in the ice pack against an incoming tide and reached our tents near sunset thus ended one of the most enjoyable and most instructive days at yakutat bay end of section eight